Welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word. Centerlefttalkradio.com. I th- this is interesting. I, I j- just the thought, just even as I hear myself do the introduction, I was, uh, I was always a big fan of uh, of Lydia Bostonich. If you if you if you watch uh, Twenty One Create on cable TV, it, it's uh, one of the PBS. Uh, stations as one I guess it's a I don't know if it's just local or wherever it is but but Lydia used to as she introduced her show it was always tutta tavola mangiata you you'd hear this you know you you if you've listened to her or watched her show you know what I'm talking about but what happened within the last oh, 6 months was she would begin saying I am excited to have you uh be part of my show and the, the word excited always struck me as being, jeez, uh, that seems just too much. I'm, I'm pleased and honored <laughs> to be your, your host and commentator. Lydia Bastanich is excited uh, to, to, to be the host of her, her TV show and excited becoming one of those terms that... Uh, People simply uh, use now. You, you, you can't just be pleased. You have to be. I'm excited to uh, to be here with you. Uh, maybe that's a sign of the times that there has to be some kind of transition in the way one even begins a commentary show. Uh, I, I must say, a, a thought. Uh, has been percolating of late here on Center Left Radio. Uh, the number of people who uh, who access us via what we call our radio loop, you're, you're familiar with that, of course, if you're a regular listener, uh, you know that we give you two ways of listening to the show, the one being standard podcasts, a standard podcast feed, that's the first link that you encounter when you go to www.centerlefttalkradio.com, but the second link is what we call our radio loop. And when we began uh, doing this show over six years ago, it's been quite a while, uh, quite a run, uh, over 800 shows now, uh, mostly hour-plus shows, uh, we decided then, at the very beginning, my producer then and I, that we would, that we would make an option uh, for people uh, that uh, listening to us as a radio loop, as as a as something that you that you sort of poked into, stuck your head into the room to see what was going on, the equivalent thereof, was something that people enjoyed doing, like the idea of picking it up as though you were turning on a radio to see, you know, what's going on on the dial. But the number of people utilizing that radio loop has progressively progressively of late dropped, and the number of people accessing us as uh, a podcast has simultaneously risen to, to rather interesting heights of late. Um, so I, uh, we, we talked about this, 
And uh, as of sometime not too far into the new year, with the dawn of 2024, okay, we're, we're now in, uh, we're, this is November 3rd of 2023, so we're, we're talking 28 and 31, we're talking uh, 50, was it 51, day, 28 and 31 uh, is 61 days away, something like, that. two months away, roughly two months from now, give or take. Uh, we may be announcing, it seems like we're going in that direction, we may be uh, stopping the, uh, the radio loop uh, and uh, the, being thankful for what it was to us early on in center-left radio, but recognizing that most people, the vast majority of our listeners, are accessing us via the standard channel, as it were, and that being... Uh, podcasts, and you pick it up at that at at, at our homepage www.centralfttalkradio.com, or you pick us up wherever your podcasts are coming from under Center Left Radio. Either way, uh, but for now, but for now, uh, hopefully you're you're joining us. Well, you obviously are joining us one way or the other as a podcast listener or as a radio loop accessor. Either way, we're glad to have you with us here on Center Left Radio. Something that, that I, I um, never thought I'd see, and, and, and this seems to be the, the, uh, the, the political, psychological, social, uh, everything season for, for experiencing the utterly unexpected. But this is a, um, I don't know if this is exactly what would fall into that category. Uh, as a kid, as, as a kid in college, there were tons of protests about Vietnam. That, that, that's what was the hottest topic on campus uh, during my period in college. You can, you can extrapolate from there, uh, you know, how old this guy is. Uh, I'm not a baby, that's for sure. Uh, and, and what was, I don't want to say what was easy about dealing with Vietnam was the fact that we, as kids on a college campus, regardless of your parents' political uh, affiliations or your political uh, leanings or whatever drove you, whatever religious considerations, what, however you, 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 you viewed it, there was a, we were homogenized, the, the males, male students, in the sense that we, the government saw us as a homogeneous group in that everybody was eligible to be drafted. We, anyone, any kid in college, uh, college was this, this get-out-of-jail-free-for-the-moment uh, card, and the moment you were out of college... And the, and the and the government and, and the and our your local draft boards were extremely conscious of this. When I, and, and for those who may not have ever heard of a draft board, everybody when you turned 18 years of age in America back then, 
you had to register within a fixed period of time with the selective service system, which in turn basically gave information to your whoever your local draft board was. The selective service system was the entity within the federal government that fed men into the army, into the armed sources. Typically, typically the, uh, the drafting process, the draft, was into the U.S. Army, not into the Marines, not into the Navy, not into the Air Force. Those entities you would have to voluntarily go, and not into the National Guard either at that time. Basically, you went into, you were drafted into the RA, the regular army. And so the draft boards were keeping track. Your name, once you'd registered with the National Selective Service, you got your draft card. It was a card that you were supposed to carry at all times. And it said who you were, and it said what your current status was. In the case of students, I believe that was a 1Y. A 1Y status meant that you were currently deferred from uh, draft status. and you, you could not be drafted, and the reason for it was because you were in college. Now, you remember, you, maybe this is a, a bit of historic stuff, but about people burning their draft cards. It was the, the, draft, the draft card, as it were, was something that was deemed to be rather sacred by the, the federal government. You, your, your, uh, your desire to serve notwithstanding your obligation to serve and your identification as someone who could be called on to serve in the military was considered a very important thing by the U.S. government or the powers that be in the U.S. government. And over time, the draft card itself became the symbol of, or, or at least doing something to those, I mean, it was, it was unthinkable for a while for many of us, more moderate types, but burning a draft card became the statement of, I absolutely refuse to be involved in this system, I will not go, or something to that effect. And the going was to Vietnam. I mean, you know, Elvis Presley may have gone to Germany, uh, and 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 there might have been some celebrity uh, uh, placements outside of the realm of Vietnam. But all of the bodies, all of the manpower during that period, late 60s to early 70s, was all being thrown at Vietnam. If you were drafted, there was a damn good chance that's where you were going. Yes. We always had troops in other parts of the world. Now, when there were protests on college campuses, it was uniformly, uh, there, there, was a, there was a split. And the split became a concentrated, more and smaller and smaller, but concentrated and very, very uh, organized and very, very uh, committed group of kids who were in favor 
of the Vietnam War. Typically, this grouping revolved around ROTC, R-O-T-C, Reserved Officer Training Corps, still out there. And there were, there were programs, ROTC programs, set up on American college campuses. People joined these programs. And essentially, you were a reserved officer, and upon graduation, usually then went into some kind of an active service thing. And your whole orientation, the reason you went into it, I mean, if you went into it in the first place during Vietnam, basically, there was either a familial contact that was already there, and you did not want to, you, 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 you needed to fulfill the the familial uh, or the historic uh, uh, pr proclivities of your family. There were military people. There were people who were, who were officers in the family. You couldn't wait until you were out of college to even begin doing that. And that commitment to the military superseded anything else. Again, the military was supposed to be apolitical. And so basically people... Apolitically, I don't know, but I think many people that I knew who were in ROTC were all gung-ho, rah-rah for Vietnam because of their political orientation. Well, you probably had to be, but it was because the government said that's where the wars are and this is how America has to be protected and so therefore we must have this war in Vietnam. And military just didn't ask questions. So you had this compressed group of people on campuses versus the vast, vast majority of kids on campus who were anti-war. And, and, and that was the main breakdown. You didn't really have... Uh, it, it wasn't broken down on religious basis or a, a, the, the political stand... It was the Republicans, for the most part, or some wing of Republicans, being pro-Vietnam, hence pro-draft, pro-army, pro-fighting, versus the Democrats and liberals in general. And, and that was about as much of a political split as there was. Nixon and all that. Well, for a while, Johnson, uh, you know, uh, President Johnson, a Democrat, was pursuing the war as well. L hey, hey, LBJ, how many boys did you kill today? It was, it, it really superseded, it went beyond pure political structure. It was about young people realizing that we were going to become fodder for a war that increasingly no one really understood why it was happening. There was no immediate threat here in the States. There was just this vague notion that the Southeast Asian Treaty Organization, uh, it was a commitment we had made, and the communists were invading in North Vietnam, but no one really bothered to understand the history of the French and Diem Bien Phu and what had happened there and, and Major Diem and everybody else who was involved in all the players and how the hell America suddenly found itself in the middle of all this. Politically, yeah, it, 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 had, it had a Republican-Democratic vibe to it here. But increasingly, it was 
what the hell will I be asked to give my life for? And there were no, no clear answers whatsoever. And it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. Country Joe and the Fish, somewhere about 19, I'm going to guess about 1969 or so, somewhere around there. And that exactly was what we were sensing. That was the absolute irrationality that was that was basically at the core of everything that we saw and an increasing percentage of the country saw about Vietnam. It, it, what, what was initially begun supposedly as a America self-protective kind of a thing. We've got to get in there. The dominoes will fall. We'll be the next one to be hit. They're going to come across the, just like the Japanese did and all that and how the Germans, you know, they were in their U-boats and they came right to our, you, you, that imagery was cemented into the initial surge of people and it, it happened gradually. Little by little, we, we, you didn't know, you know, if you, watched, if you watched this grow, if you watched Vietnam grow from the period uh, of, of Eisenhower, where there were the first advisors, believe it or not, it was in the 50s. And then under John Kennedy, in, in the brief period until November of, 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 of 63, when John Kennedy was in office from January of 61 to November of 63, barely two full years in office, and then Lyndon Johnson took over. But what, what you saw under Kennedy, and not much was said about this, and not much was said about his brother, Bobby Kennedy, who has who always been a liberal icon in many ways because of his positions on civil rights. But what happened bit by bit during John Kennedy, in, in John Kennedy's brief, we were getting deeper and deeper into Vietnam. No one was noticing it. I can remember I was doing speeches as a young student before the veterans of foreign wars, the Korean and, and Second World War veterans, talking about uh, basically my concern about what was going on in Vietnam. Believe it or not, that, that there was a brief period where that was actually a rational and acceptable thing to do. But we, we were moving in that direction. We were moving in that direction, and finally, by the mid to late 60s, we had, again, under Lyndon Johnson initially, who then got elected for his own four-year term, he served out the remainder of, of, uh, of, of, of John Kennedy's term, got elected to his own four years, and announced in 1968 that he was not going to run for president, because, well, the unspoken story behind it was he was disgusted with being blamed for the death and the horror. And then Richard Nixon came in on a law and order and bombing uh, Cambodia secretly. No one knew about this. And gradually we worked our way out of this. But not before 55,000 American kids had been killed for a war that we look back on now and say, what the hell were we thinking? Really? What the hell were we thinking? That's basically my memories 
of Vietnam. No, I, I had the good fortune of not going. Uh, there were a whole bunch of, uh, let's just call them twists and turns in my story. And my eligibility uh, came and went and came and went after college. But in the end, I did not have to serve in the Army, nor did I go to Vietnam. I, I attempted at one point to get into the National Guard. But I never, ever had to serve. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Now, why am I giving you the story of Vietnam? Well, I, I, I see something kind of similar happening right now. And I, I want to go, go back to the notion of college campuses and, and how this works on a campus situation. Something that I thought I'd never see, and that's kind of where I started this, this, this line of thought, this, this rock on tourism uh, for this particular episode of Center Left Radio. What, what, what college campuses looked like back then? what the divisions were. One of the things that I don't recall being a major source of division was a, let's, let's call it a religious orientation. There, there was, were you more likely to be pro or anti-Vietnam if you were Catholic or Jewish or Protestant or whatever your back, well, it, your, your political background may have helped make a, a definition of that. But on a purely religious level, no, not, I, I don't think there was a big thing, which makes me so absolutely freaked out at the notion that, that Jewish students on American college campuses are being targeted, physically targeted or, or, or threatened, or the, the level, the level of, of, of threats being received and given is absolutely burgeoning like crazy since October 7th, October 7th being the date when Hamas, basically the governing but terrorist organization that has governed, uh, that has governed the Gaza Strip, the, that southwestern uh, portion of land that is immediately adjacent to Israel on one side, the Mediterranean on the other, and on the south it has, it has a border with Egypt, Rafa, right across the border is Rafa, Egypt. Uh, and it is home, it has been home, remains, I gather, home to something like two million Palestinians. Remember the Palestinians, the people who used to be the occupants of the land uh, that was called Palestine, now called Israel after 1947, and who ultimately were herded into, literally herded into two major areas, the West Bank slightly further north on the west bank of the Jordan River. That's an, a small area there. And then separated from it, Israel kind of re-intervenes physically, what is called Israel. And, and, and then southwest of the west bank area, the Gaza Strip. where two, So the vast majority, the vast majority of the Palestinians are in Gaza. Now, 
Hamas on October 7th, completely unknown. You couldn't call it more of a surprise. It, you'd have to go back to, to, to the, the, the 1973 war, the October war. They, they called it the October surprise in 1973 when, uh, when Israel was basically uh, invaded by Egypt and others. And Egypt basically put Israel at the nearest point to being dissolved as a country that it could possibly be. And somehow Israel came through. United States helped once again, but, and, and it led to, it led to the Camp David Accords, okay, uh, with uh, uh, the Egyptian, then Egyptian president, who was, by the way, uh, then martyred, killed, uh, Amor Sadat, was murdered by uh, members of his own security guard, ostensibly over having made peace with Israel. But the, 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 um, the, the treaty has held up all this time. Something really weird was beginning to happen in the background that not a lot of people were talking about, and it was going on uh, as late as uh, October 7th. And, and this would sound weird knowing that you had a, a, a ultra right-wing hawk, the likes of Bibi Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, at the, at the controls in Israel. Now, now, Netanyahu is a very complicated, on one level, guy, but not so complicated on another. He's very recognizable to Americans. He's been around for 20 years. But he's probably the nearest thing to a Donald Trump that Israel has had in quite some time. He's still under indictment. He still is in a position where he is still prosecutable. I don't know exactly how the laws work. For a while there, he was trying to completely eviscerate the powers of the Israeli Supreme Court, indirectly, mind you, in order to basically make it easier for him to basically do what Donald Trump is hoping to do, namely pardon himself. But, but Netanyahu was doing precisely that or attempting to do precisely that until fairly recently and, and, and was nearly able to do it at this stage in the game, and he is in government, but to do that in Israel, you would have to be able to stop the Supreme Court from being able to do things independently of you. I don't know that they have the exact same thing in Israel where the president can pardon people. Maybe they can, and, but the issue then becomes, can you pardon yourself? And, 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 and that, of course, is, 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 is the great bugaboo. That's, that's the great bogeyman. That is, that is the great constitutional challenge that Donald Trump is trying to uh, inflict on America as he basically becomes closer and closer and closer to being convicted of crimes. And given the, the strength of the cases against him, both in Georgia, you know, at Fonnie Willis, and, and of course the Jack Smith case, it's, at least in the, um, in, the, in the January 6th version of ja uh, 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 Jack Smith's prosecution of Donald Trump, uh, the, 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 the uh, Mar-a-Lago documents case which is being presided over by a federal judge in Florida who is 
utterly inexperienced and proves it every day, seems to be going through a foot-dragging process right now while she keeps uh, smarting for being uh, the judge, for being reprimanded by more and more people for her incapacity to really deal with a complicated case. She's never had one anywhere near this complicated. She's relatively uh, untested on the bench one way or the other, and she's simply uh, re reverting to her Republican roots. She's a Trump-appointed judge, by the way, but both the Fonnie Willis case, which is a state criminal case, and at least the uh, January 6th portion of what Jack Smith is bringing in Washington, D.C., both of those cases, uh, most legal scholars realize that there will be convictions in both of those cases, and those convictions could be coming in the first quarter of the year. And the likelihood would be that they would be coming in concert with another set of findings. And that set of findings, uh, which are beginning to get litigated right now, would be as to whether or not Donald Trump can be prohibited from being on the ballot in American states, and if you're, and if, and it would be a constitutional basis for prohibiting him, and if he's found to be unqualified constitutionally to be on the ballot in one state, well, the same reasoning, reason would suggest could be, could be applied to any other number of states, should be applied to all the states. If you are constitutionally unable to perform as a presidential candidate, why? Because you basically were part of an insurrection against the United States. Well, that will be determined certainly in the court hearings, in the court, in the court verdicts that will be coming out sometime in March. But according to what's happening with these hearings, the first happening in Colorado, there's another that'll be coming up in, in, in um, I believe, and the next one would be in, uh, not in Michigan, I think it's going to be in Minnesota, and then it may be moving on. There'll be hearings on this and court cases going on. The understanding is it's all going to ultimately wind up in the lap of the Supreme Court. <laughs> All of this will go a long way towards determining whether Donald can even be on the ticket. He shouldn't be. The third section of, of Article Four of, of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution clearly says, if you've been involved in an insurrection and either aiding it, abetting it, or giving comfort to those in it, don't doesn't even say you have to be uh, uh, you know convicted of a crime of doing it. This was all after the American Civil War. This was passed. This was briefly after Reconstruction. You're off the ballot, baby. You're off the ballot for keeps anywhere in the United States going forward. Now, all that's happening. And then you have October 7th, and Hamas comes and invades Israel, kills... <sighs> Oh my God, uh, 1,500 people. Uh, some of the killings were done so brutally, so awfully to children, to babies. Uh, it, 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 it was all, it was, it was an ISIS thing all over again. Takes 225 hostages, runs back, and begins playing games, knowing full well that Israel gets sucked in. Hamas knows that Israel can't make peace with it. Hamas obviously doesn't want peace. You don't do what they did. Yes, you can, you can blame frustration, you can blame uh, the fact that Israel never really dealt effectively with them or with the West Bank, but that's a whole different political group that's running the West Bank right now. 
nowhere near as crazy as Hamas, but you have Israeli settlers up around, uh, that surround the West Bank settlements who have been far more aggressive towards their Palestinian neighbors of late at the behest of, and their political affiliations are with, get ready, here we go again, you're going to see the connections, Bibi Netanyahu. Now, Bibi Netanyahu, his only hold on power right now is the far right in Israel, which numerically is not the real majority. But temporarily, because of the nature of Israeli political structure, Netanyahu has been able to put together a coalition that essentially makes these extremists the most powerful in the country. But the majority of Israelis, the, 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 the absolutely non-secular uh, Jews looking at him, all of the non-crazies, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to equate religious uh, conviction with madness, but that seems to be the groups that are affiliated in an extreme position with Netanyahu, the non-crazies say, we can't go through this process again. And, and I'm back to America. And, and of course, now Netanyahu goes in to Gaza, starts blowing the shit out of the place. Civilians are dying. Yes, there is an absolute right that Israeli has to, Israel has to protect itself. Yes, Hamas cannot be allowed to do anything. Yes, there must be some lesson learned. Yes, there must be some way of getting these hostages out of there. Yes, there must be a neutralization of these forces. But at what price to everybody? And back to American campuses where Jewish students, I never, it, it was always the Jewish kids who were protesting. The Jewish students invariably uh, were, were in my time, and, I, and going past that, it was always a liberal cause with a big L or a small L that, 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 that drew them into a sense of fighting injustice, where there was an injustice. This is where you would find the Jewish population of kids on campuses basically drawn and where they would basically, uh, it, you know, put out their efforts. Now, I saw a kid from Columbia University. He was a couple of days ago. He was on uh, Nicole Wallace's program. And he apparently was the leader of a Jewish campus organization, not necessarily hyper-political, but Jewish students. He was a representative of Jewish students on the Columbia campus. There are plenty of Jewish students on the Columbia University campus in New York City. It's, part, it's, it's tucked in the Upper West Side. The Upper West Side has traditionally had strong Jewish roots all along. Everything in New York changes, neighborhoods change, but there's no lack of Jewish students there. And yet Columbia as well. My God, Cornell! There were threats to kill Jewish kids. Cornell shut down, uh, they shut down classes yesterday, and I believe again today, in, in an effort to try to calm this craziness down. And the Jewish kids 
are becoming the object of this this anger, this, these feelings that have been building up over an incredible amount of time, decades, about the mistreatment of Palestinians. There are pro-Palestinian rallies, but even pro-Hamas rallies even out there. And they're basically differentiating in, in supporting the Palestinian people Somehow, the invari invariably, there is this effort. Jews must be on the wrong side of this. Do, does everybody who supports the Palestinians automatically, therefore, hate the Jews or have a reason to attack Jewish students on college campuses in America? No, probably not. But is there a bizarre uptick in the number of people who seem to feel that that's an okay or even a reasonable thing to do. Yeah, that's out there. That's, that's, the, that's the really super disturbing thing here. And there are no, undoubtedly, any number of Israelis and, you know, titular Jews, at least anyway, who basically have a sense of, of injustice towards Palestine. People living in Israel, people affiliated with Israel, who understand that the Netanyahu government has basically gone bonkers. Bibi basically is keeping, he's keeping his own detractors at bay. The only way he can stay in power is basically to keep these far right, this far-right coalition pumping away. Where is he now? Well, he's been Gaza. And he's basically going to keep going, and we're going to, we're going to get them, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then we're going to get someone else, to, we're, we're going we're to weed out Hamas completely and permanently, and then, well, someone else will run the place. Who, Bibi? Israel? Do you have, do you have another group that could actually go and, and, and deal with Hamas? Um, are, are you going to bring down the leaders from the West Bank? Are they going to be willing to go into now, now go into Gaza? Do you have a, do you have a, a three-state solution? Do you have West Bank, Gaza, and Israel? Do you have a, a one-state solution? Uh, no, BB, what do you want? Well, I want to stay in power. Really? Is that, is, is that really the... No, I'd never admit to that, of course, as BB. I'm speaking, I'm speaking for BB's subconscious, or maybe I'm speaking for not-so-sub, maybe just what's on his mind. No, no, I would never admit that to anybody. But I have no choice, you see. I've got to do this, otherwise uh, I will probably be almost instantaneously voted out of power. The moment, the moment I'm no longer pursuing battle against the Hamas faction, allegedly that's what I'm doing, and, and, and doing something to put things back together, the, no, the moment that that is no longer seen as the primary effort on my part, then I am personally at risk. Why am I telling you all this? I am giving you a story that is in many ways in my mind a preview of where you could find America if there was a, a second Trump presidency, if the guy got back in the White House again. 
Bibi Netanyahu was a few steps ahead of Donald in terms of his exposure. And because of the system that he can be kicked out parliamentarily, that there can be interim elections, it, there's a lot, it's a lot easier to blow up a government and get somebody out of power. But what he is doing, what I see him doing, what I observe, is what happens when a guy whose political back and, quite frankly, his freedom, his, his, his capacity to remain out of prison, when all of that is up against the wall, and when he has the reins of government in his hands, where the personal and the political suddenly merge. Now, you, you, you have to add another factor here, that Bibi and his government, for all their hard right line and yelling and screaming, were utterly and completely unprepared for what happened on October 7th. It was a complete surprise. So that everything about his far-right positions and this thing and that thing, which would logically include protective action that a right-wing mindset would probably have going, would have included intelligence, it would have included uh, reactions, you know, earlier reactions to what invariably must have taken months, if not years, to plan with Iran's assistance, obviously, and Bibi didn't know squat about it. His government was completely blindsided by what happened on October 7th. Why? Because they were more, he was more interested in his ass, his political skin, than he was about Israel. He was more interested in maintaining the fiction, if not, well, not so much the fiction, but the image of being a hard right tough guy than actually doing the hard work of protecting the country in a way that a hard right person was supposed to do. And now finding himself in a position where he is utterly vulnerable politically he is going in full bore into a military operation which is justifiable. Absolutely, you can't not do what he's doing, at least insofar as wanting to free hostages, wanting to get rid of Hamas in any way he can. But you also can't do it brainlessly and mindlessly because in the end, what is your end game? This is the ultimate question here. What is Bibi Netanyahu's end game? He has none. He has none right now. His only end game is to keep Bibi Netanyahu in power as long as he can. He is running as scared as the settlers were on the other side of Gaza when the raid took place. He is living in a this is a nightmare, and he's going to keep putting his country through a nightmare, and even if he justifiably continues a military presence, he must give some rationale to what he's doing. It can't be until we, what, get rid of every last member of Hamas, and that will be what? When we're stuck there, when we're in a Vietnam, when we're in another Afghanistan, when we're in another, uh, when, when we're in another, you know, I I Iraq situation where we're stuck for 20 years, where blood and soil and money, and we're completely distracted, and where our enemies surround us, 
basically see an opportunity to keep going after us. You have to subtract BB's problems out of the current equation, and you have to do it as rapidly as humanly possible. Otherwise, you cannot even begin to formulate an endgame for Israel here, and Israel desperately needs to begin formulating the endgame. Donald has no end game other than maintaining his power. Bibi has no end game other than maintaining his power. And they will both do it at any cost to the states that they are, well, that Bibi currently and Donald hopefully will be able to run. Don't care whatever else happens. Followers don't care. They see them as some kind of messianic force in their lives. We need you, etc., etc. And that's the problem right now. The problem that gets Jewish kids attacked on otherwise liberal college campuses. This is, it, it, that turns everything on its head. That turns, that turns emotions and, and thought processes and rational thoughts on their head. When you have a leader that has their own interest ahead of everything else, including the country they are constitutionally sworn to protect. That's the story here. I don't have an answer. I, I, I have stories. That's the story. And I think there just might be a little more of it to be told when David joins me in the next segment. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm just about positive there will be. And that's going to happen after a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Center Left Radio has been here for more than seven consecutive years and more than 800 individual episodes. 800. Think of that. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make Center Left Radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we enter this final consequences stage of the Trump saga. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You're listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz, and you're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. We're here. It's Friday. David, what's on your mind? Well, there's a lot, and if you want to hear more, you can follow me on Twitter at Faces Ideas. You know. um, so look, the, the House Speaker is now official. He's He's you know, pass it bills occasionally. They're, so let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. 90% of their time is just making sure that different secretaries have $1 pay. Like, that's like 90% of what they're doing. They're just voting to lower the pay of these people because they're like, they just don't like them or whatever. Um, so that's good to know. Because, um, <laughs> you know, that helps the American people. Um, oh, tremendously, care- tremendously, yeah, sure. They also claim to care about the deficit, but their uh, their only way that they pay for things um, that they claim will lower the deficit is to cut funding to the IRS, which um, does not do that. Because no, here's, here's, here's the thing about our, our deficit. It's not because we spend too much, because we don't bring in enough taxes. And part of that is because of the Bush tax cuts. And then further compounded by the Trump tax cuts. Yeah. So 
even what they and when you fund the IRS, for every dollar you put into the IRS, you get between five and seven dollars back. Yep, because that that's what been doing. That, that's been established for a long, long time. Uh, so this pay for that they actually want for the uh, uh, for the Israel funding is actually going to cut the deficit. Is actually going to make the deficit worse, um, which you know makes sense because if you could point to literally any policy. Uh, prescription that the Republican Party has, besides just like hate and grievance and and nonsense, it's oh ta- the rich people shouldn't pay any taxes ever at any point for any. Sure, why why should um, they? I mean, my goodness, that would only help everybody else. That we don't we we can't have that, you know. Right, um, and then the problem is this bill. This so it's standalone uh, uh, funding for for Israel, and part of it is. That it passed, but it passed because Democrats helped it. There was 12 Democrats who helped pass it, along with 12 Democrats who also sunk the expulsion for uh, George Santos, right. which is just just wild. Like, he absolutely should not be in Congress, although it, it would have been very, very funny if George Santos was the first one to be thrown out of Congress, not, you know, the literal people who tried to um, overthrow the government. Uh, that would be that would be uh, pretty pretty yeah, wild. But, but uh, by the way, it goes it goes without saying though. Well, it doesn't go without saying, but it should be noted that there was nowhere near a sufficient number of Republicans voting to get rid of George Santos. So the twelve Democratic votes were window dressing, pretty much more than anything else. Well, the, yeah. If, if it's not going to pass, why would you put your name on that? Thank you. Like, that's the thing that makes no sense. Um, that, that, um, I, I, I can't – I've heard the reporting on that. I don't want to get, get trapped because I know you have a larger point to make. But that's the other thing that I can't figure out either. Why the hell would you put your name on it? And you knew you knew what the Republican whip had probably reported were the numbers for that. Why would you put your name on that and then watch it go nowhere? But OK, they did. Yeah. Um, but the the Israel bill is probably dead on arrival. Yeah, Not of course, in the Joe Senate, Biden yeah. is anti-Semitic, yeah. or the, the the Senate is anti-Semitic, or as uh, Israel and its allies would um, would argue, is pro-Hamas, um, which is just like you want to know why people are mad about this war. It's partly because every time, and this is they're doing this a lot, especially with Jews. Um, Anytime someone protests about, hey, you need to do a ceasefire, they're like, oh, yeah, look at all these these pro-Hamas terrorists. Like 90 percent of the time in, in America when it's people protesting, it's actually Jews. Yeah. And like it's it's not like anti-Semitism isn't a problem. It is. It absolutely is. Um, and it should be something we discuss. Anti-Semitism is not disagreeing with Israel. It, it just isn't. Um, the uh, John Fetterman has been unbelievably disappointing on this. The White House, the way they phrased um, talking about it, where she kind of equated it to need, to Charlottesville, is unbelievably disappointing. Yeah, yeah, um, doesn't help at all. That, the fact that there's now senators coming out saying, "Hey, we needed a ceasefire." The fact that it was Dick Durbin first, who was APAC's first win. Yeah, is 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 unbelievable. Yeah, and part yeah. of it is, and, and uh, we do need to, to to acknowledge a couple things, like the. The goodwill that Israel has burnt is because of how brutal they're being for yep. two reasons. One, everything they're doing in the West Bank is illegal, like not even a little bit close. And it has nothing to do with what happened on October 7th, like without any doubt. Um, two, they keep killing journalists. They've killed 36 journalists in these airstrikes. 
Um, also, they bombed a refugee camp three times. This is not a um, – the first time, it's like, yeah, we got this one guy, but we can't tell you who he is or whether we got him. And then I guess they missed, so they bombed it two more times, which you need to understand the, the, the argument here. Their argument is, oh, they have human shields. Okay, so stop shooting the shields. Yeah, like, yeah, that that. that well, we well, we we, we can't we can't shield. differentiate between the shields and the bad guys. Really? Well, that. Well, depending on who you ask. Well, um, well, because they have a count going terrorists taken out, and it's just the people they've killed. And the the argument is, oh, every pal. There was the congressperson like two days ago who argued, oh yeah, every uh, there's no such thing as an innocent Palestinians. Uh, civilian just like there's no such thing as an innocent nazi like yeah yeah this yeah, is a, yeah. like part of the reason that the 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 focus needs to be a little bit more on islamophobia is because they're murdering uh people here like as far as i'm aware and it's possible that i'm not accurate on this nobody has stabbed a jewish person in america they've killed multiple palestinians they killed a six-year-old yeah 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 like there have been here. threats all over the place, but yeah, and it all and no one's saying that's acceptable. That that's obviously unacceptable, um, and it it is something we have to deal with. It, this is, but this is not a new thing, and this is not a a Muslim driven thing. This is, and you know, uh, Salon had had this right. They had an article saying, "Hey, uh, Christian nationalists and MAGA extremists are a bigger threat than Moss and all the right wingers lost their fucking minds over it. Yeah. Except for the small fact that it's statistically correct, um, it's accurately correct, um, and it's just correct by understanding who does terror in this country. Because, and and this is this is a a, a quick little uh, refresher. In this country, we currently have a uh, spat of bomb threats. They go to schools, they go to libraries, they go to Bud Light, they go to Target, they go to the Boston Children's Hospital, they go to, um, I want to say they went to uh, the Villanova Children's Hospital as well. They yeah. go to any place that had drag show. And yeah. you know what uh, the cones, the uh, the tying thing into all of these uh, bomb threats are? What? They're not done by Hamas. They're <laughs> done by Right-wing extremists, people yeah. like Chaya Rajek, who is a terrorist, people like Ben Shapiro, who is a terrorist, people like Matt Walsh, who are terrorists in the sense that they are um, stochastic terrorists because they get mad about trans people or gay people or some other thing, and then they say – they they rile their base up, and then their base sends bomb threats. Um, and, and then, of and course, and of like, course well, you, you, oh, you forgot the back end of that. And, of course, hey, I didn't do it. Uh, 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 some people that uh, listened to me uh, got all bad. But I can't be taking responsibility for that. That's 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 the back end of all that, of course, you know, if you're yeah. Ben Shapiro uh, or somebody like that, you know. And also, it's not worth – it is worth mentioning that I, I don't know if this is true reporting, but if it is, it's, it's really despicable that Biden went to Michigan and at no point spoke to any of the Muslim or, or Arabic leaders there. Um, because this is a thing, this is, I'm happy this is like a thing we have to argue about now is he, he's lost a ton of support among, um, American Arabs and, and Muslims. And he, look, we need every vote. This is not like a, uh, especially in Michigan or places like that, we need every vote. And it is hard. Like, like we have to, we're going to have to fight so much harder this time to, to convince people to, to come out for Joe Biden because it's, it, it's toxic. This this argument is toxic. It's oh, you know why why would I come out for somebody who's in support of genocide? Because like, 
we have to look at this realistically. Yes, there he could be stronger condemning some of the actions Israel has taken. Um, and well. and honestly, if, the, if let's be clear, there's no way that we're going to cut military aid. It's no, of course not. not. Of course not. Um, could we? Could we put some restrictions on it? Say, hey, you can't keep bombing journalists and civilians and shit. Probably, but the other thing to this is, and this isn't widely reported, is is what happens when he does that and BB just tells him to go pound sand. Like this is not, and this is not a um, uh, an un. This is not a hypothetical. He did it with Obama. Obama told him you have to cut it out with the settlers, and he's like, no, fuck you. Yeah. Um, well, well like, you're, you're you're getting to where I was in the first segment of the show today. And I basically was drawing an analogy between Bibi Netanyahu and Donald Trump. And the point I was making is that Bibi is even further along on the path to, I will use any vehicle of government. He's back in government. And I will use the government in any way, shape, or form to protect my own ass. And my protection of my ass and my super right-wing majority, which is what I need to keep my ass in power, allows me to do whatever I have to do in any justification. And I don't have to explain to you, and nor do I have to back away or allow humanitarian aid in or stop bombing refugee camps. My ass is on the line, and I'll do whatever I want. And this is what America would be facing if you brought to Donald Trump back in, he'd find an equivalent situation. And it's Netanyahu at the heart and soul of all this, and our fit, and our inability, it would seem so far, to truly affect any kind of change, because Bibi is scared for both his political and his physical life. He doesn't want to spend the rest of his life in jail, and he still faces prosecution. Yeah, the, the, the thing, like, the argument of, oh, I, I can't vote for this guy again, is it's not. It's not just that. Like, it's not just that Donald Trump is worse on this issue. There is not a like. It is. I, I think because he's kind of been out of the spotlight um, for a little bit because of the of uh, this Israel stuff. People like he's still out there giving speeches, saying just absolutely batshit insane stuff. Like he is worse by an order of magnitude. On every single issue, well, like it's not even. Then, like, then, then, then he himself. You're comparing Donald to Donald. No, I'm comparing Donald to Joe Biden. Ah, ah, like, ah, ah oh, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, okay, yeah. And yes, to himself, he's also worse, but that's because he's having like mental breakdowns. This day. is true. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, it's it's every issue he's worse. And be like, oh, you know, um, they're basically the same thing on on Palestine. It's like, no, we'd probably be bombing Palestine as well. Um, we, we we may very well bomb Iran if uh, if Donald Trump was in office. Sure, um, why not? Anything uh, to basically take the pressure off of himself to justify what he's doing. And this would be after, of course, he, he would have to uh, have busted the Constitution completely by just to be in office. He has to pardon himself. He will need to pardon himself. So so that makes it, yeah, in that sense, it'll be even worse than the BB situation right now. And so, like, even if you don't take the, oh, Joe Biden is, is, is just as bad argument, just look at the, like, it's not like Joe Biden hasn't been an ineffective president his first. Like, there was good shit we got out of this. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the legislation is not really going to change much because the Republicans have the House. But um, the IRA was a, a good piece. The American Rescue Plan, the CHIPS Act was still pretty good. Um, they've, they've done a lot of stuff. He's, 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 um, doing a lot with uh, student loan relief. I think they did some stuff on marijuana. I don't really remember exactly what it was. 
um, the NLRB is is killing it. Um, he he was down there at the the uh, strike for the UA, UAW, which just had a massive win. Yep. Um, yep. Like it's it's not like you can phrase it as oh we're just going to vote against um, Donald Trump. Like yeah, fine, okay. But there's no politician who's perfect. Like you can't if you if you have. Um, you can argue that there's there's more that you want Joe Biden to do. I want Joe Biden to do more, but you have to understand there's there's two things that matter more. One, he's not he's not progressive. He just isn't. That's not who he is. Yeah. Um, and it is very shameful that a lot of the Democratic leaders are um, you know praising Adi Barkin when they basically spit on everything that he's uh, stood for. Um, but he he's not he's not progressive. We're not going to get. The all the you know progressive ideas. We were not getting Medicare for all. I would have liked at least a, a push for a public option, but you know, um, because of who he is. But right. the other thing is, if you want to put more change in there, you have to show up and vote. Like, yeah, it's yeah. the yeah. bare minimum that you can do with this. If you do, if you want to win, go elect more uh, progressive senators. Go elect more progressive uh, Congress people. Go go even go elect some uh, centrist Democrats in red states so that they actually have a have the gavel to do stuff. Because the difference between a five-vote majority for the Republicans and a five-vote majority for the Democrats is, like, inexplicable. It is, like, not even close yeah, to being it's, the it's, same. It's night and, and the day. Ability to you, do get, you get back to George uh, You get back to George Santos and the New York Democratic Party and, and the difference that they made, <laughs> that they well, are continuing well, to make in, in the United States Congress. My God. Oh. Talking about the New York Democratic Party, Eric Adams um, is currently under investigation for uh, potential kickbacks to uh, Turkey due to campaign finance laws. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And oh boy. because he's Eric Adams, you don't know whether that's the country or the food. <laughs> um, it, it is very weird that New York keeps a, a, a electing fucking weirdos um, for this job. Uh, but no, like really, if you want to, like, think about what would happen if we had had more progressive senators. Um, I mean, I know Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren didn't step up, but like more progressive senators are more than the 23, uh, Republic, uh, 23 in the house that are pushing for, for a ceasefire. Like that's the type of pressure. Like, uh, there's an election on Tuesday in Virginia, go vote. Yeah. Um, cause they're not even hiding it. If they get the two seats, they will ban abortion in Virginia. Um, it's crazy. And it's likely that Glenn, it's crazy. Glenn Youngkin will jump into the race, which would be very funny, um, because the only difference between Glenn Youngkin and uh, Ron DeSantis is one is made for the media and the other one wears a, uh, a, a sweater vest. <laughs> um, oh, and he doesn't wear lifts in his shoes. Um, but it, it that's like, uh, again, I, I, I'm happy we're having this argument now instead of next year about, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to vote because I'm like, okay. If you don't vote and Joe Biden wins, you don't get to complain. If you if you don't vote and Donald Trump wins, then it's your fault. Like, yep. like let's be very clear about this. The the idea that you can vote for a third party is a wasted vote too. And I'm gonna be very clear about how I think about third parties. You can't be that asshole who shows up every four years. If you wanna be proved that you are a, a competent political party that deserves at least a five percent shot at the presidency, go win. Go win anywhere. That's Who right. Your ideologies matter. Um, just that's the way the system works. Would I prefer to have a better 
uh, a better system where we had better candidates? Absolutely, we don't. So instead of living reality or pretending that you have higher moral values that um, will insulate you and other people from whatever devastation is brought by potential by any time a Republican gets power, is is ridiculous. Now I want to caveat this. This is it is important to try to push the Democrats to the left. Absolutely. But it is also worth mentioning that the, oh, when is it not going to be the end of our uh, the most important election? The answer is when they're not voting in fascist. Like, again, my my calculus may change a little if, like, Nikki Haley is somehow the, the nominee instead of Donald Trump. Because at least under Nikki Haley, I know we're still going to have a democracy, and she's much less likely to be vindictive. Yeah. Um, would, would I think she's still bad? Absolutely. But it's not in the same vein. If we were dealing with like a semi-normal, like Reagan, not Reagan, um, Romney-type Republican, it would be a different story. We're yeah. not. Until yeah. the yeah. party is defeated in its fascist form, you vote against the fascist. That's it. That's it. But the thing, though, that, that I, I, ta- I don't know how to put this, that I take some comfort in, I guess that's the best way to put it right now, is that we are, as we sit here, it is the 3rd of November of 23. Well, the voting takes place on uh, the first week of November of 24. We're one year out. And a lot of shit is going to go down, and a lot of things are going to change, and a lot of perspectives are going to change in the course of the next year. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt that this guy Johnson, the new speaker, is going to do all kinds of dumb crap. I have no doubt that Trump is going to go crazier and nuttier, and that and the and the claim and that the judges will that someone will finally have to either put him in jail for a night or something crazy is going to happen, and all hell will break loose there, and and. We don't know. We do know that it's just going to get that that, that the cauldron is going to bubble brighter and harder and the bubbles are going to pop and they're just going to start splattering all over everybody until we finally get through the next November and however long it takes after that to begin some kind of rationalization of America, assuming, assuming that Donald is not found to be in the White House, because if he is, it means that he had to destroy the Constitution to get there. We got a year to work do that you, out. Do you think Mike Johnson's going to be speaker the entire time? Uh, no, I don't think so. In fact, from what I'm hearing and seeing, a lot of, and then the, the, my main reason for saying that, beyond the fact that he's going to do stupid things and he's doing stupid things already, is that the centrist, or the, the Republicans, uh, the, the the Republicans who basically got voted in 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 Biden positive territories, looking at the fact that they cannot get out of the fact that they voted for this guy in, and that will be at the lead of every single ad that goes out against them. This guy is going to have to leave in order to make them happy. They're going to have to go through this at least one more time, and he will give them more than enough reason. He will give them more reason than, than Kevin McCarthy ever could have, but he's just going to do it quieter and smoother and with, you know, Jesus around the edges. That's the only difference I see with this guy. That's, that's my thought. 
Yeah, because I know I know they're fighting. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene is fighting with everybody. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. To see where she's like, going. like I say, but, David, we're we're on, we're you and I are on air on 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 Friday together simply because there's so many games that remain to be played, and they're going to play them, and we're going to call the balls and strikes, and we're going to give our opinions. And uh, hopefully people listen to us and, and hopefully they continue to listen to you when you're not on Center Left Radio. Where can they do that? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at uh, Face Ideas New. They can occasionally find me on the Productive Conversations podcast and also on the Left Wing uh, YouTube channel. I, th- I, th- I think this is uh, a, a, a good assignment for people uh, when they're not listening to Center Left Radio. Keep your ears on, David, and keep up with what's going on and keep seeking out rational sources of information. You can smell when it's all crazy, and there's so much crazy out there right now. But, uh, well, that's why we play the games. That's why we have the discussions. And that's why when it's over, you take a deep breath, as deep as you can, and uh, listen to a little jazz. listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. You know, we watch Israel, and we watch the activities of Bibi Netanyahu, and Americans should basically see this as a lesson for what comes next. When one man can impose his political needs, his personal angst, and everything else, and utilize a country in order to fulfill his own ends. This is where Israel is, where America could, God help us, go.